Everybody have a good weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You look, uh, you know, you can usually read the faces of you three guys when I come in on Monday. Like, who's doing what? Armin was, like, barely answering my text messages, so he was with his lady friend, obviously. He was whining and dining. <laughs> I'd send a text being like, hey, what's up? I'd get a response 10 hours later. Nice. And it would be brief, like a thumbs up. I was like, nice. Yeah, just a reaction. Yeah. Efficient. Yeah. Heard it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nick looks like... A, Flustered. <laughs> and yeah, you look happy. I don't know. It's, there must be a new reality TV show or something. Well, Love is Blind yeah, is popping. No, but no, I had some beers with buddies, man, you know? Okay, there you go. See? Hadn't seen him in a while. It was great. See, that's nice. Yeah, it was good. Stop watching Love is Blind. Got outside, touched grass, saw some real friends, you know? <sighs> I had a great weekend, too. Mostly because of sports. <laughs> Mostly because of sports. And yeah, I got a little bit of... This was like the first weekend I had in a long time where... Uh, I felt healthy. Sure. Uh, okay. So, you know, Ennis has this take that I really like, which is, I've lost my wallet a couple of times, but I've always recovered it. Not to jinx this, but Ennis's opinion is that losing your wallet is one of life's great joys because the feeling of when you recover it mm. is amazing. And I think that there's a little bit of that with sickness. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you never think you're going to get better. Yeah. You're, you're like, oh my God. And this one for me lingered. I was sick for, I want to say, eight, nine days where I was just not shaking this thing. And then all of a sudden you're better. You wake up and you're fine. You go, oh, I'm going to be a different. It's basically like when you take mushrooms is the day after you're like, I think I figured out life and I'm going to treat it differently. (laughs) And I'm going to approach, I'm going to approach things with a little bit more intention. I'm going to take my health more seriously. I was looking, I'm I'm looking into a whole new diet. <laughs> Going to try a different workout. Looking into personal training. This just one sickness. It'll fade. It'll sure. fade after a week and a half. Basically, after first beers with the boys. Yeah, that'll be the first one. Is when you wake up, or sorry, not before you even wake up. When you finish the beers and you're on your way home, and you're like, "What late night food am I going to order?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. What late night food am I going to slam onto Uber Eats? How can I pay forty bucks for? Yeah. Oh, there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing worse than putting that order together and thinking it's going to be a reasonable price. Yeah. And then you go to checkout and it's like $48. But at that point you're locked in. I know, but you're it's too late. You're already thinking about eating it. It's too, but, but you have that one moment where you're like, oh, <laughs> how dare they? Maybe I'll take one thing. Well, I can't take no. that off. That's a crucial part of the, the roster here. <laughs> We've cultivated the perfect team. And then you have to go through with it. And then the next morning you went, you, was it worth it eating $50 of A&W? Yeah, you like left it out in the counter. Yeah, was that good? Yeah. Yeah, the leftover <laughs> stuff that's in the bag <laughs> that you think about. <laughs> anyway, uh, Justin Bourne's coming up in a couple minutes. Leafs winning streaks at seven games. First time in 20 years, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before. Uh, not... This, because this hasn't happened in 20 years. I mean, everybody's been talking about this winning streak and everybody, the city's on fire with it. It's the subject of every single article. It's the subject of every single conversation. At this point, um, I would be shocked even if you weren't a sports fan and you were not aware of the buzz around the Leafs right now in the city. Like if you're spending any time around, yeah, a bar, a group of guys, you're in a group chat, you're, <laughs> you, you go to a rink, whatever. 
you are probably going to hear about this hockey team right now because it does. I hate saying this. I hate being a prisoner of the moment. You know this. I try to fight it. And people say that, you know, sometimes I can get a little too caught up in that. Watch this team. I watch them every night. Watch them every night for, I don't know, most of my life. But as, as with a career in mind, this last decade, this, this team right now feels different than any other regular season I can remember outside of year one of Matthews, Marner, and Elander, where they were the little engine that could, and it was this different kind of belief, and they brought in Brian Boyle, and the energy around the room felt phenomenal. This is kind of that. It's, to me, there is a clear, there's two things that are very, very clear. One is that the energy around the group, like I mentioned, does feel very different, feels very unique, feels like they've bonded over this road trip. They can say that it's all about the Morgan Riley thing, and I'm sure that a lot of that is true, is that they felt as though they were punished unfairly, that they were dealt a bad hand, and that's always a great way in sports, right? Being Labeling yourself the underdog, how often do the Leafs get to use that card in a way that's other than them versus the media, right? Because that's the way that they try to usually spin it is we're the underdog against the media. We don't have microphones, and you guys are trying to bring us all down. You go, okay, enough of this. Please, for the love of God. Finally, they had something else. They were able to put a face to someone else, and that was the Department of Player Safety. And when you dealt with us unfairly and you've dealt with us unfairly in the past, and we're going to go out there and show you. I think that that is definitely a real part of it. But the other is, is that they've stumbled into a deeper lineup. And all of a sudden, everyone feels involved. And what do you know? Uh, the group that has everybody contributing and everybody getting ice time and everyone having a more impactful place on the roster has materialized into their group having more success. That the team sport is operating more successfully because there are more members of the team that get to chip in. And I was probably about, I wasn't nervous, but there was definitely, I think for a lot of people in the back of their minds going, all right, they did play a bunch of tomato cans on this West Coast trip and some coyotes in there who had dropped 10 straight. All right. Matthews scoring at a just unbelievably prolific rate. And then they had these two games against Vegas and Colorado. And even the Vegas game, people kind of got to crap on it because of the lack of health that Vegas has coming out of the All-Star break. And then they get this Avs game, and they're down 2-0, and they show a bunch of guts, and Tyler Bertuzzi comes through with a huge hat trick, and the three lines are rolling yet again, and there's good chemistry on the blue line. The goaltender continues to play phenomenally. He's lost one game since he came back from that the horrific stint that he was dealing with earlier in the season. All of a sudden he's rebounded back to being, I think over that stretch, he's got the third highest save percentage of any goalie in the NHL. Pretty good. Pretty damn good for a guy that was totally written off by me. And I would say 99% of the planet. There was a very minuscule percentage of people that were really still backing Ilya Samsonov and thought that he was going to return. And now the coach is even pulling, uh, pushing all the right buttons. But there's a couple things to this that I think you can learn in terms of heading into the playoffs. One I mentioned, which is, okay, they've got more depth firing. It does feel like these guys have bought in in a different way. I don't know if it's just because we get more content when things are going well from players, like uh, Max Domi singing the happy birthday song to Tyler Bertuzzi. Probably doesn't happen if they're in the middle of a four-game losing streak, right? So when the vibes are better, you're more likely to get a peek into guys being happy because teams are never going to be reluctant to showcase that. They're never going to be reluctant to showcase behind-the-scenes access of who good and happy times. Either way, 
the good and happy times that you're seeing out of there look good. They look like a group that is focused and relaxed and enjoying each other and has a sense of purpose. They keep saying all the right things, which you can say is easy, but I don't remember them having this kind of speak around the room where the peripheral guys all of a sudden are chipping in more. You're hearing more from Reeves. You're hearing more from Domi. And they're all saying the same thing. Yeah, the individual stuff is nice, but we're thinking about something else. They are locked in on playoff success. They know what that is, and yet they've been able to maintain their focus throughout the regular season, and they're building something right now. But the, the other pieces that have me a little bit more hopeful of the playoffs are, one, all three of their stars are totally in their prime, and they're clicking, firing on all cylinders. 17 points for Mitch Marner over this stretch. Matthews has 10 goals, and I think 14 points. Well, the four assists. And Nylander has 13 points and all of a sudden looks like pre-contract William Nylander again. The power play that has been missing, the real missing element for this team come postseason time. Yes, again, tomato cans. Yes, again, Matthew's shooting percentage and team shooting percentage through the roof, all of these different things, blah, 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 blah. But it's 47.6% over this stretch. It's not that it's going to stay that way. It's more to me that, man... This has to be, this has to be a part of who you are come playoff time. This can't disappear anymore. And if you look at the way that they're playing, and I'm I'm excited to talk to Bourne about this because this is a tape guy. This is a guy who really understands power plays. What they're doing, it's not just, oh, uh, they're shooting the puck. The percentages are a little higher. They've always had a good power play. This is a different power play. All of a sudden, there's way more movement. Guys are in different spots. Matthews now has a signature area that he feels unbelievably dangerous in to the degree of an Ovechkin where you're like, don't let Matthews get the puck in that spot. And now we all know it. Right side of the ice, down low, he's going to snap it in the net. Mitch Marner is creating a ton of space. Bertuzzi now being a part of that unit, having some success there, creating havoc around the net. Tavares seems to be buying in with all this. Anyways, it's great. All of this is to say they've done this in one of the most important portions of the season. They're three-quarters of the way in. Obviously, blah, 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 Kobe Bryant, job's not done yet. But what has this done to the front office now as they head into the final week and a half-ish before the trade deadline? What, what happens now? Because they've reportedly been pretty reluctant to move top-tier assets for rental players. And, and I'm still of the mind that that's the way that it should be. But if you were someone on my side of the fence, which was, uh, does this group really merit pushing a, a serious asset in the middle for? Is this not a let them sink or swim year? Keep what you have and try to do some heavy lifting in the offseason? That does feel like it's changing over the course of this run. And yeah, they've got a little bit more time here to see if it continues up until the deadline. But the Leafs players from top to bottom have done a really good job of putting pressure on the front office, Brad Tree Living, Brendan Shanahan, in terms of trying to bolster this group over the next couple of weeks. Anyways, Justin Bourne, right after this quick break. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, it's Justin Bourne. Oh, my God. What's up, brother? Nothing, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You, you can... I, People always think that the media fellas love it when the team is losing because there's more things to talk about. I think that there's been way more things to talk about. And I, like, I wrote down a list of things to discuss with you today. There's a ton. Yeah. It's fine. It's actually kind of nice when the team wins a bunch of games and the stories are nice and positive and you can break down winning. Yeah. 
Dude, yeah. I got to tell you, like you and I have been longtime proponents of the happiness hedge gambling move, you know, yeah. where it's like, I need this game. I'm going to yeah. bet against my team because yeah. if I lose, I better get paid for it. Uh, I just bet against the Leafs basically every night because I want them to win. Like, mm. it just makes my life so much happier when they win. So I'm, I'm happiness hedging all over the place. I, I, I stopped doing that this year with the Leafs, but what I was doing for a long time was game to go to OT because it got ridiculous. Yeah. They were just going to overtime every single game. And so I would live bet whenever uh, them or their opponents would go up a goal. That was when I would pounce a game to go to OT at a big plus number. And it was very profitable for me. I got to say it was uh, really. And then all of a sudden it it started to careen and I went, all right, we need to take a break from this because they're, they're winning. Yeah, It's totally one of those things where you're like, all right, get out while I'm ahead. It worked for a while. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Cause you start to get a little bit more aggressive with the bets and you're like, Hmm, you know how that (laughs) one, you know, be nicer is more money. (laughs) Okay. Every one bet ever. I should have had more on that. Oh dude, there's nothing. uh, My brother and I talk about it genuinely all the time because we share the meme back and forth. I would say once a week during a win but in sopranos i think it's season five uh there's a scene where tony borrows money from his wife because it's like this weird tony has a gambling addiction season and mm-hmm. there's no it, it's just a very strange departure from the rest of the show but tony gets his gambling addiction and he asks his wife for money and he puts 10 grand down on a game he finds out it wins and then she's like happy for him but he asks for more money and he freaks out at the at the kitchen island going it could have been more you know, and that's every gambler. That's every gambler who ever <laughs> could have been two- more. Yeah, exactly. It could have been more. It could have yeah. been more. Anyways, you know what couldn't be more? Mm. Uh, the Leafs' power play percentage over this stretch. Uh, Do you know what it is? Yeah, forty-seven percent, yeah. ten for twenty-one. Correct. So, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at things that could change come playoff time. And no, do I think that they're going to be almost fifty percent on the power play uh, during the playoffs? No. But when I look back at the power play points for this team over the last couple of postseasons, uh, they're not great, um, especially last yeah. year against Florida when people go, well, why don't the Stars score more? Where did Austin Matthews go? Right. It's like, hmm, you know where it might be pretty good for him to be able to get goals in this postseason? You know what might help the Leafs' odds of winning in the playoffs is if they can have a power play that's more dangerous, doesn't feel as stagnant, and doesn't go into as many lulls as it has in the past. And uh, they've been criticized many times for not being creative enough, not having got enough guys in movement, sort of just trying the same thing over and over and over again because the results were good but not great. And what are I, I want to know what you're seeing right now that's different besides just injecting Bertuzzi onto the power play because this success has also come uh, with, what, five of these games without their mm-hmm. power play QB. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I think there's a couple of things with this group. And, you know, it used to be sort of – that I felt like guys kind of got locked into their tracks or whatever, but I do mm-hmm. feel like they're more open to moving at the top. Like you see Marner sw- roll over top of where Riley is supposed to be, and I know it hasn't been Riley entirely, but like Matthews has the one-timer option that he actually hits this year, but he'll be on the other side once in a while because we know he can catch and release it. Like I just think they've moved around uh, really well. They also have established, you know, at times they tried the low play where Marner would kind of get below the goal line and the fr- the net front guy would pop up. Like, it's just been years of the same guys who've tried it so many different ways that you feel like they should be comfortable basically anywhere they end up. So, you know, at, at times like this, it's gone in for them and all that, but they do look comfortable kind of moving it around. And, yeah, I think Bertuzzi in front has, has helped a little bit, but mostly it's a credit to the other guys. Yeah, it's definitely the other guys. And it does it does feel as though everybody will move and everybody can change positions. But now, Nylander has the left side, Matthews has the right side, 
And then Marner works as this just rover type who can do whatever he wants and freelance the way that he wants. And yeah. that's really creating just a ton of space for everybody because he's got the hockey smart, the edges and the passing ability to find guys that ultimately end up in tap-ins like the one you saw for Bertuzzi the other night or the, the plethora yeah. of goals that Matthew says on the right side. Well, and you look back, you know, you talked about them in playoffs. Last year against Tampa, they were fine. But in the previous, like, six playoff runs, their their power play percentage was way worse than in the mm-hmm. regular season. Like, it's plummeted in the postseason. So, you know, I look at other teams who haven't had that happen, and it's Tampa Bay who have guys perfectly tailored to their spots. Mm-hmm. And then it's Edmonton where McDavid moves around so much. And that, to me, is Marner's role with this group, is that if you have one guy who can pass it extremely well, sees the ice so well, and they're kind of rolling around the zone. It's just a dangerous position, and it makes it harder for the D to be like, all right, here's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. The other part of this is, um, as great as Matthews has been, we've outlined it over because he's forced us to, because he has 52 goals, so hard to ignore him. Uh, Same goes for Nylander, who signed a massive contract this season and has played the best hockey of his career. So you've got two guys in their primes that are playing their best. Last year, it felt like Mitch Marner was carrying this team for large stretches, especially early on. And so I, I don't want to get captured and say this is the best he's ever played in his career. But do, do you think it is? <laughs> because it, lately, he's been pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, you know, we see flashes of this. I saw, you know, he, it's like a month-by-month thing with him. And January, for whatever reason, in his career has been like – January and February, sorry, has been like where he really – makes his hay and this is obviously it's at eight straight multi-point games at this point so yeah he's it's definitely on par with as good as we've seen him as a leaf and you you think to some of the goals like the Nylander one on a power play where Marner has a rebound in front and just kind of makes a little dish so uh, Nylander has an empty net like he he helps guys score goals that they wouldn't normally score it's uh you know, maybe having less pressure on him this year, not being the guy so much, maybe that helps him in, in the postseason and he's able to maintain this level of play, which would be huge for the Leafs. You know when, so to me, one of the things that really signifies dominance in sports is where you go, how are you leaving someone so wide open, right? Like if you see Steph Curry get an open look, you yeah. go, how the hell is that happening? You see a great receiver get into the open field on third down and they make a big play and you, you pound the table and you go, how the hell is this happening? Mitch Marner's doing that for me right now with the space that he's creating in the offensive zone where I'm like, how could you give him so much space? And I don't think that, he, that they're giving it to him. No. No, see, this is the thing. Like, it's... It... What would you consider the dog days of the season? Like, what games on the schedule? Like, is it not game 50-something? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, the exact point. You're before the deadline. It's, you know, you're post all the, like, major milestones in the season. And things slow down. No one can play at his pace like this. Like, he slows it down and he kind of lulls people to sleep. It's... You know, he has an ability once the game is 1% less than max capacity to just absolutely control the play and where the puck goes. This is my only fear, by the way, is what you just said, is that this is the lull period for everybody else. Like everyone came out of the all-star break and they're sort of groggy and they got the energy boost right at the right time. Like, actually, this is a good spot to do. You and I have always done, is uh, is this a guy? We haven't done it in (laughs) a really long time because we We were bit in the past. We did. Our guy percentage at one point was incredible. You know, we had this. Dude. Have we we missed? Yes, one, notably. Big time. 
Well, I guess some people think he's a guy. I, I wish so badly I could revoke guy status. Uh, it was Engvall. Buddy, we guyed Engvall up when he was 10 games in his I NHL know, career. I, he I just know. signed a seven-year, $21 million deal. That's know, a guy. Yeah, but there's never been a player I've hated to watch more. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's this thing where I go, you got guy status, and yes, you made money, but there was never a day where he wore the sweater outside of the after those 10 games where I went, God, I hope you get that that contract here, you know? And he did get, what did he get traded for? It was like a third-round pick in a year where they were trying to win a Stanley Cup. They just went, yeah. Have him. Yeah. <laughs> here you go. To their yeah. former GM, <laughs> no yeah. doubt. So, yeah, yeah just take him. That's how much they disliked the whole situation. They tried yeah. to stick him on a guy they didn't want to succeed. Yes, yes. Uh, and anyway, uh, I'm not going to go into the depths of my slander for this player. Uh, and so, But it's just, it's very Toolsy. difficult. It's very Toolsy difficult. But, Big skates. But this, has been, this has been my <laughs> thing with Bobby McBann. Obviously not an Engvall type in terms of the effort level and the way that he uses his size. But a little bit of, hey, it's February. It's a lull period for a lot of players, a lot of teams. They've played some tomato cans. They've played some teams that are beat up, like uh, the Golden Knights. Um, how much of that are you weighing when you're trying to decide whether or not this is a guy? Wow. Uh, a McMahon, is this a guy question? You because know, he plays I... with a lot of energy, right, and a lot of effort. Well, the th- only catch, what catches me is his age. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you go back on my Twitter feed, in October, I called him a great player when he was at the Marlies. And I got DMs from two NHL analysts who were like, great? Like, easy on great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. okay, maybe he's not a great player. But I yeah, like this player. He passed waivers this year. It should be noted. Yes. And that's a huge yeah. mistake by other teams. And if Dubas yeah. was here, he never would have. But, yeah, uh, it's, it should be noted that that did happen. So he passed through waivers, and he's 27 years old. So it's, you know, it it does give me some hesitance. But here's what I'll say. I like everything about the way the guy plays. He is big, and he's fast, and he takes the puck to the net, and he can shoot it like anyone. Like, he has an absolute laser for a shot. So to me, I want a guy on my fourth line who's desperate to make the NHL, who's, you know, trying to prove himself every shift, and, you know, just goes and does what you ask. But if he gets a puck in the right spot, Mm -hmm. he might shoot it in. So for this Leafs team, he's a guy. He's a guy I want in the lineup, and I'm fine with that, including playoffs as a fourth liner. But I don't feel like he's going to get an Engvall contract at any point uh, in his career. Do you think that he's a third-line guy, though? Because that's where he is right now, and it appears that more ice for him is really working well. And they're going to get Yarncroft back. I I kind of want to see what it looks like with Robertson off that line and Yarncroft there. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's a good question. You know, the... I look back at the way he sort of came along and his – he went to – I forget what university he went to. It might have been Harvard. Anyways, it was – he went to some university where I read some quotes from his teammates who were like shocked to see him hitting in the NHL. Someone said he didn't throw a hit in four years of university hockey. And like he has adjusted his game to make the lineup to be someone different. So my initial thought is you know, the guy I want him to be here is not who he naturally is. He is not naturally a guy who wants to go out and bang bodies and do that whole thing. So you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up this level where once the scoring dries up, because he's not a 30-goal NHL scorer, we assume, mm-hmm. um, once the scoring dries up and he's you know, not, doesn't really want to go in there and bang all the time, like it just gets harder to see 
it fit perfectly. I still think he's not a third-line guy, but on the fourth line, if he can just convince himself to hit in his 12 minutes and then maybe shoot one in the net here and there, I'd be very happy. He, he reminds me of a guy who, well, actually, he's office space. You know, when he gets hypnotized, he goes to the hypnotist and he doesn't care about his job. <laughs> yes, but some people yes, try that to quit smoking. He feels right now like he's hypnotized into being an actual unbelievable NHL player. Like the way he's, <laughs> like the confidence that he's playing with, the using of the utilization of the body, uh, the night in, night out effort. You go, okay, we did see this before, but it, like we saw your size, but we didn't see you use it this way. I didn't see anything close to this player. People would gas him up, the the prospectish guys, right? The yeah. Our buddy Nick Richard, the, those types that watch all the Marlies games, and I would go, I don't have time for this. <laughs> like, I can't. Yeah. I'm sorry. I cannot mix in Marley's games without a heavy paycheck coming my way to add this to the schedule. I, I'm not I'm not watching them play Laval back-to-back, okay? Yeah. No yeah. chance. No chance. But people would rave about him, and then when you come up, I'll go, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's fine. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all right. It's there. He's in another lineup. But if you took him out for somebody else, I wasn't going to cry about it. Now I'm like, I don't know. Maybe there is a little bit more here. I'm definitely giving him yeah, guy status. I'm definitely giving him guy status, and I think as long as this hypnotism works, as long as the confidence doesn't break, that maybe he is a third liner on this team if his third line center yeah. is John Tavares. Well, because he can finish it, you don't hate if he has to play on the third line. Yeah. You know, but like, but you don't. He can go out there and do all those things if, at least, if the puck comes his way, he's going to be able to execute. So I'm with you. I, it's it's there for him, and I'm curious to see if he's able to turn this into something sustainable mm-hmm. uh, rather than just a, a flash in the pan. But I I certainly like the player and think it's a perfect fit for what the Leafs have been missing down the lineup. I forgot you got a dog. <laughs> yeah, and a mailman apparently. Yeah. I'm yellow. No, I went, no, I went I, I just like I was like, who's dog? Oh right, Warren got a dog this year. Congratulations, because you've been a long-established cat guy, and cat guy has pivoted to dog guy. Um, <laughs> dog he, guy, he's a great dog. Here's the thing: I like him if he's with Tavares. That feels like a third line. Part of uh, I said it in the opening block, but to me. There's a few things at play here. One is that everyone feels a little bit more connected and as though they have a role, that Sheldon Keefe has finally found three lines. But that also operates much better when you have your top three all in their prime who are cruising the way that they are and a power play that's clicking this way, right? Seven-game win streaks, and especially ones that happen on the road, are probably going to bring teams together along with adversity of having a Riley suspension and feeling like you're hard done by or you're underdogs. But I, I love that we're finally seeing... Yeah, guys have roles that are more than, are you playing between 9 and 12 minutes tonight and mm-hmm. trying not to kill us, but actually being able to play your brand of hockey? Like, look how fun this new second line is. All of a sudden, Tavares, McMahon, and even Robertson, who could be Yarncroft soon, feel like a real thing. The question, yeah. you're the Keith Whisperer, right? Um, you're the, you worked with him, for, and you've known him for years. Mm-hmm. So... Do you think that this is a case of he was playing the long game all along? Or do you think that he sort of just fell into this and then he's just as traditional as any coach who goes, you don't mess with a successful lineup, and that's forced his hand? Like, either way, they're in a great spot, but I do want to know how much credit you attribute to this. Yeah. So a couple, I've got a few thoughts on this. One of them is that there's no long game. Like I, Sheldon tries to win every single hockey game he coaches. That's the objective at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, by the end of the game, there's not a whole lot of like send a message to the guys and we may lose this one, but we'll get them down the road. You know, like it's he tries to win pretty much every game he coaches. So I don't think it's a long game thing. Um, on the other hand, I do think that when 
you know, he's a little beholden to personalities at times, as anyone is who coaches a lot of personalities. And I think it's been hard to say to any of their elite talent, sorry, you don't get to play with any other elite talent. Like, you're the odd man out. You're the guy who has to drive his own line and figure, figure it out on the third line. I think that's been a challenge for him personally. And then this seemed to give him the opportunity to do it, to show that there was success, and then to take that to a guy like Tavares and say, look, this kind of worked, and we can see how it can work. And, you know, we could, again, if he's trying to win the next game and he thinks this might work, that may be why he's sticking with it. What's funny is, it plays into his strengths as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things Sheldon really does well is get guys who aren't involved, who are playing well, like say they're down the lineup, like a guy like Tavares at 3C, get up those extra shifts with Matthews and Marner. Because you don't love Matthew Nyes as a top-line NHL forward in his rookie season. You know, he's been good, but he's not. it's just not the natural perfect fit. So if you sell Tavares, you drive that third line, you be on the second power play unit, but trust me, when there's chances to get you in, if you're going or whatever, I'm going to play you with the best guys. Mm-hmm. I think it's a win for Tavares, too, and he's looked great beside Matthews and Marner, and I, I just think it works for the whole lineup, and Keith has stumbled onto something here that he can now take to those guys and say, this is why we're doing it. I love it, and I I'm, I'm I honestly don't think that there's something that could happen other than an addition at the deadline that would change my opinion on this being the right course of action. And to me, there's there's a part of it that is frustrating because, listen, Nylander's having a terrific year. I think that Tavares, despite the goal-scoring drought that he was on, even strength-wise, um, he's often overly criticized in this market because, yes, he's the he's clearly the dude out of the top four that is making the you know the most too much money <laughs> you know like he's yes. he, <laughs> yeah, he is making I like that phrasing yeah he, he makes the most too much yeah he makes the most too much and i get it and people have been sort of disappointed and he's just he's sort of an easy guy to criticize but i i think people overlook a lot of the good that he does but i like that he's on this third line now where he doesn't have to defer as much to nylander where it doesn't feel as though he's digging out pucks for another guy that mm-hmm that he's looking for his offense and that too, you have a Nylander line where he is now driving it and he is playing with skill and a little bit more speed and the pieces fit. And he seems to have that the Bertuzzi Domi energy that those two guys have. That chippiness is actually rubbing off on Nylander. I I don't think you can ever go back. Yeah, I I really don't. I I think that the days of Nylander Tavares to me are dead. Yeah, and I, I am totally with you on that. I think it's a, it's a great solution for all of them. Um, you know, the, the Leafs talked to Tavares about this, obviously, and, and said, you know, here's, here's an opportunity for us as a team, but for you personally as well, to just take on a different role. The guy has a 1,000 NHL points now. Mm. No one has any doubt about his ability to put pucks into the net to contribute on the offensive side of it. But now it's going to be okay, do you end up as Joe Thornton, you know, Mm -hmm. like as Charles Barkley, as all these guys who haven't won something, whoever, and said that guy could produce offense? Or do you, you know, do you change the way you play a little bit, help the team more and and really have team success in Toronto? And I think it's a pretty easy sales pitch. And I think Tavares has taken to it. And that could be the difference between success and failure is that he seems to be willing to take this on. And he's given a great effort the last couple of games. I was nervous at first. I thought that the body language was not great for a guy that really doesn't display it too often at the very beginning. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he scored. Yeah. And, then, and then maybe a little bit of success helped him. Bingo. <laughs> Just all of a sudden he started scoring yeah. goals and you went, oh, looks fine. Looks pretty happy. All of a sudden Bobby yeah. McMahon was chasing down every single loose puck. And he sort of got to watch and see how the play developed and play off of that. And boom, it ended up working out for Tavares. The, the, the big one. And, and look, they, they've ahead. told him if it doesn't work, we'll yeah. go back. We'll yeah. go back to it. But, yeah. you know, we just let's just see here. Well, and he's he has done things like he did move out to the wing when Ryan O'Reilly arrived, right? There's There's been stuff like this, and maybe that's a little bit of an easier sell because you're on a loaded line and you're still getting all your minutes. But, yeah, as long as Keefe maintains that level of creativity, which was something that, uh, and I noted this on Leafs Talk the other night, that was supposed to always be a calling card of Keefe's. Like, when he first came in, it was, this guy's not afraid to try things that are new and different. And... You you know, to your point about how he gets so bogged down in the win every little battle, not the war, I think a little bit of that was lost with him over the course of his career with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And maybe he's rediscovering that, and Tavares is really big help with that. You're right. The success works. We'll see how it plays out with the power play in terms of whether he's off it right now. But to me, this is just a great lesson for John Tavares is, hey, man, the more you sacrifice over the course of your career with the Leafs here, and yes, that will come to be a contract at some point, the more loved and maybe the more team success you're going to see. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh it's an easy sell in theory once he mm-hmm. starts, you know, chipping a couple goals in and and seeing that he's going to get the run with the top guys in the big minutes and all that and he can mentally, you know, buy in, I think it'll work all the better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so outside of the top 4 guys cuz I'm I'm going to take Tavares out of this cuz his depth development I think here being the third line center is is huge to all of this, but what what has been the most important or what has been the most significant depth development to you over the course of this last stretch? Well, Bertuzzi feeling yeah. important, yeah. you know, not even the goals, just like them treating him like he's an important player, you know, getting a couple of power play minutes, you know, really just, I guess it is, comes down to the fact that he's had success after they gave him that opportunity because it opens this whole door this whole world for the Leafs where you go if he's a guy a capital G guy not just a born and bunkus guy mm-hmm. you know this is a, a massive difference in terms of what they have uh, in terms of depth threats yeah um, totally agree and I'm gonna keep referencing this because uh, I think this is a lot of times why you have guests on shows because you are hoping for some insight and you're hoping to glean something from an interview and when I had Dan Bilesman who coached him for three seasons as an assistant in Detroit uh, this was what he mentioned is he's a guy who needs to feel good to play good, um, which was surprising to me because when mm. Bertuzzi came in, I thought the implication was this guy is just a quiet grinder who's going to go about his business and play the same every single night. And why wasn't he performing to the, his, his highest capabilities in Boston? Who knows? But he showed up in the playoffs and he's that kind of guy. And this year, I think that the moving around of lines – and the moving around of uh, his role during a contract season where he clearly wasn't one of the coach's favorite players was having a real impact right. on the confidence. And now you're starting to see a guy who it's like, oh, no, no, no. He, he looks happy. He looks like he's playing with joy. And all of a sudden it's resulting in way more success. And, and again, I, I hope this ends up being another key lesson of, oh, okay, I've had this guy for a quarter of a season. Now I'm starting to understand him a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. You know, it's funny because it's not like all the Leafs' problems are solved. Mm-hmm. It's just that you can now see a way through the trouble. You know, like you can see a scenario where 
you know, prior to this seven-game run, if you had said, what's the best the Leafs have looked, and is that good enough to beat, you know, the Rangers at their best or, you know, Vegas or whoever it is you think is the best team, you know, it wasn't. And mm-hmm. now you can see it at least how with a couple of fixes, okay, Bertuzzi gets going, feels involved, Bobby McMahon is suddenly a third-line guy, Brody's better on the left side, even Lilligren's looked better. You start to make sense for how this can be a, a genuinely competitive playoff club. Mm-hmm. So then last thing, does this change your level of aggression if you're Brad Tree Living? You know, for me, I have been preaching aggression the whole time, mm-hmm. so not a ton, because I see a league that's weak. Mm-hmm. I don't see, you know, three teams. If there were two or three teams where you're like, God, that's a juggernaut, you know, like you, you're going to have to run into that team eventually, and there's no way you couldn't beat them. Like, I just was trying to list off the best team in the East and the West very quickly for an example when I was just talking a second ago, and I couldn't come up with a team. Who's the best team? The Oilers of the West? Oilers I, like everyone says Oilers Florida. can't get a save, and I, they've yeah. completely yeah. gone and in the ev- tank since the winning streak. And everyone says, like, kind of universally, Florida is the best team. Mm-hmm. Florida's below a 700 points percentage. Mm-hmm. Like, there haven't, hasn't been a team that's the best in the league below a 700 points percentage in nine years, just twice in the last 20 years. So, it, you know, this is a year to be aggressive where you feel like in any series, you may be at worst a 48% chance to win, you mm-hmm. know? I will say this is, uh, I of course, they stopped winning because I bet on them last night, the Rangers, but... <laughs> They look pretty damn good, and I can't wait for that game on Saturday night. I think they've won. I think they had won nine in a row before that. I think that was their streak. They had also yeah. been putting it together yeah. at the right time. Um, and they have that guy that fights everybody and is Rimbit. definitely going to beat Ryan Reeves Rimbit. up. That, I, that's going to be. <laughs> I love that kid. Although Barnaby made a, a good point on Twitter yesterday, which was he got his. Yeah, go ahead. He's just he's taking a lot of shots for four fights, and I was like, yeah, it's a lot, buddy. He got. Yeah, tattoo. He did not win the no. Olivier fight. He, he no. just got a bad grab and like if he was distanced wrong no. and it's Olivier just tough to just, get out of that. It, dude, he did, he won the smaller fighter handbook, which was he got inside and used his leverage yeah. and beat the piss out of it's like i actually yes, wondered that fight was such a because his other ones it's been hey back and forth up and down and that one was just a, a statement fight for him where he went oh, okay you know maybe maybe not more fights than reeves his entire season in a span of a week yeah. maybe maybe we pace ourselves but, a little you bit know, here He's 21, you know, like he's, he's hopefully he doesn't do this all the time and he's going to get man strength still, you know, he's going to fill out. He's going to be the preeminent enforcer in three years or something. But boy, it uh, doesn't look fun. I love him. And the thing that makes me, there's only one thing that really pisses me off watching it is fans are losing their minds. McAfee is retweet, you know, shares it. It's all over social media and you go. I, I don't know how anyone can look at this and not think that this is good for hockey, <laughs> that fighting is a fun part of the sport and that it always has been and that we clutched our pearls so hard that they snapped and now we've got it where, yeah, Ryan Reeves, who was brought in here to fight, has fought less times than this guy as a Maple Leaf and it just it drives me insane because, God, people love it and I love it and there's like a few loud voices on social media that get so upset, and so we all kind of cower to it and go, okay, well, I guess we don't want to talk about how much we like it and all, and yeah, nobody wants to see a guy get hurt and blah, 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 and then this happens, and you go, oh, right, it's the best. It's totally the best. You know, I I think we've also turned a point where, 
you know, you can make the case that my dad's era, when they came out the other side of it, that they weren't educated Mm -hmm. on the risks and the brain damage they were incurring. These guys, this generation, a 21-year-old, is aware of concussions. He is aware of CTE. He has chosen to take the risk and considers it. He doesn't think he's going to get hit in the head. You know, like Clark Gillies never had a concussion. He never got, you know, he just, he didn't get hit in the head a lot. And a lot of these guys believe they're going to be the one to not get hit in the head a lot. And, um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, that's a risk he has chosen to accept at this point. And so it's harder to say, you know, you shouldn't do that when it's a man making a choice. But yeah, I've never understood why people can't wrap their minds around that point. Like the NFL hitting stuff is much worse when the NFL, like the, the reason that the concussion movie or the, uh, the, it was a uh, controversy was not that guys get concussions. It's that they knew and didn't tell people <laughs> you know, yes. that they were yes. like, ah, it's not that bad. You know, it's fine. Same thing. It's like cigarettes much worse when they're holding back all the information from the public. If you want to go out and have a cigarette as an adult, when you're having a beverage, go ahead. You know, the risk, as long as the, yeah. the warning is on the packet and you're an adult, you should be able to be free to make a decision. Um, did you watch Shane Gillis? Uh, you know what? I haven't. Okay. I've seen enough clips, but my wife and I tend to watch okay. it the next Friday night, so I will okay. watch it. All right. All right. Anyways, uh, I'll let oh, you Hold know. on. I will say, though, okay. I, I told Sam McKee how much uh, my wife and I enjoy. We watched the previous SNL, like, on a Friday night or oh whatever. So, so you're still up- watching SNL? You watch it every week? Well, we just watch we watch Weekend Update. That's essential. Usually okay. the monologue. You know, you watch a musical act here and there. It's where okay. I found Noah Cahan, who I quite enjoy. Okay. Um, right. You know, and some of the, so, you know, depending. <laughs> Nate Bargatze had a big hit with the Weights and Measured skit, so there's some right. good gems in there. But anyway, right. I saw Sam just brutalizing SNL on Twitter oh, the morning after saying, my week. We, <laughs> we texted back and forth during it. It's – I can't believe how horrific SNL is. Like, I – I knew it was bad because I wasn't watching and I used to be a huge fan of it, but this cast is, like, it, it, there's, I, I don't know, no one remotely usable outside of the Weekend Update, guys. Like, it's it's horrific. Like, if I went and saw those actors at a local theater troupe, you know, someone dragged me to terrible improv, I would go, they suck. <laughs> it's so, like, if you can't make Shane Gillis funny in sketches when I watch all Dude, of the his... Trump shoes bit which I did see is hilarious but that's just all him right and yes and, it is that's and, the idea and it's all him and that's the thing he does incredibly well is the Trump impression you knew that they were going to break it out for a sketch and it was a can't miss her you know this one was the here's the layup sketch in the entire thing I yeah. actually uh, like I liked it more than McKee did I thought that the the final sketch was good I think it's the final sketch and then I thought that uh, the the gambling one was kind of funny, like it was a good idea, and he did a good job of it. But boy, that like the opening scene, the opening skit, the live from New York without the Gillis, cold open, the yeah. cold open, it's I, I I sat there in astonishment at how terrible it was, and could not believe that Lauren Michaels cast these people. And I the, would actually the, say, yeah, cool. sorry, that's the biggest change in SNL over the years, is that the cold open used to be this really great political yep. satire, and now it's just generally very bad. Oh my god. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> it put me in a bad mood. Maybe I need to rewatch without the cold open experience. <laughs> yeah, start because, from the monologue. Because it really, it was a, it was a real splash of cold water in my face. It was tough. Yeah. It was really, really tough. Anyways, Justin Bourne, uh, you can hear him later today on Real Kipper and Bourne, uh, and of course, regional games uh, for the Leafs. Thanks for making time, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. See you, pal. Uh, okay. None of you guys, like, 
Uh, anyway, I, here's my thoughts on the Shane Gillis thing. It was fun to see him on SNL. To me, he actually did look nervous, and that's when he did his monologue, which is just a reminder of how hard stand-up comedy is. This guy is in the peak of his career. He is at his most popular. He's, to me, like, right now, I, it's hard. I usually try to hand out the belt to who the best stand-up comic is. Uh, I don't think he's as prolific as Louis C.K. I don't think that he's as great as Dave Chappelle. Um, I don't think that, you know, Bill Burr has lost his fastball whatsoever. I think Bargatze is truly incredible, and especially the fact that he works clean. And, you know, like, I want to go see Bargatze when he was here, but it was an arena show, and I'm like, damn it, you got too big. I, I, I don't want to go to Scotiabank and <laughs> sit in the 300s and watch you deliver jokes. I want to see you at you know, Meridian or the Danforth and see you play one of those venues. Uh, Segura still, you know, I went, I've seen Segura and uh, Gillis with Bourne and both guys had me in complete stitches. Although I think that Gillis's last special, the one that we saw live, I, I laughed harder at that. I was in tears. I was having a real tough time, uh, like stopping laughing during some of the jokes so that I could hear where it was going. But he looked nervous and he struggled through a bit of that set and he went back to a little bit of old material as a crutch. And it was, I I think it was tough to watch for a lot of people that are fans of his for stretches of the monologue. Did he do well? Yeah, it was fine. Um, Do I think that it was his best stuff? No, I think that he got nervous and tightened up and the room was difficult and he mentioned it during, like whenever you start talking about the audience during an act. I don't think that's a great thing. Mm. You see the band behind them and they're just like rigid. They don't know what to do because his type of humor is probably not uh, the type of humor for some people that were there, let's just say, you know, especially the way that we've been kind of conditioned uh, as a population when it comes to stand up and humor in public and all this different stuff. But Overall, I'm going to give his monologue like a 6.5 out of 10, 7 out of 10, somewhere in that range. It was fine. Didn't, it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't great. It wasn't his best stuff. Um, and then the sketches, though, were abhorrent. Like the people that he was playing off of were dreadful. Like, it's funny, I, it's yeah. funny that like Bourne shouted at the Trump shoes sketch and I really liked the Liberty Mutual insurance sketch, but both of those were just Sh- literally just Shane Gillis and yeah. no other cast yeah. members and just him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, those are the two sketches that I saw that I was like, oh, these are pretty good. And he, it was just him. He has his own sketch comedy show called yeah. Gillian Keeps <laughs> and you can watch most of them on YouTube for free. Um, when they first come out, you pay a couple of bucks and you buy them on, I think it's Apple. Uh, you can grab them and I've done that before and they're awesome. And it's with him with his friends and they get to work out the premises and they're really funny. It's not, there's not a ton of sketches, right? This is very different. You're doing SNL sketches every single week versus these guys that are taking an entire year to build out, like I want to say probably a total of 15 to 20 sketches, maybe a little bit more, maybe a couple less. So yeah, different parameters that you're working within, but they're awesome. They're almost all hits. They're really, really, really good. And there's not a sketch in that bunch that, like, he has funnier sketches that involve Trump in his own work. I just, I couldn't believe how bad the cast is. I knew it had been tagged a developmental cast. I think that had been the case for two years. It feels like longer. 
But that is, I don't know what you're developing. The other guy that came in and tried to play Trump for a second during the Trump sketch. He's been doing it for years. Oh, that's your Trump guy? He stinks. He's been been the Trump guy for a while. It's just, a lot of us that are my age grew up like Armin didn't know who Jon Stewart was and we took this great offense. Were you there that day? No, I wasn't, yeah, dude, but that he's, is a He's like, you know what he called him? <laughs> the popcorn gif guy. Oh, the popcorn gif guy. Yeah, that's what wow. he knew him as. Um, <laughs> but I, I get that in today's era. Like if, yeah, if you're 28 years old, political satire is just almost tiresome because it's the same. Because sure. like, Trump is funnier than anybody who's satirizing him. So it's just weird and it's awkward. It always feels like way, it, it just it isn't good. But we grew up on Jon Stewart and it was really funny and it was really important. It was really great. And, it, and there was always a real function of that with SNL. And that is just completely lost. Like yeah, I watched yeah. those sketches and I went, no, thank you. I mean, the thing for me is like the only time I, I used to be a big SNL guy. Yeah, same. Who young, wasn't? Younger too. The thing for me is like now the only time I've caught, caught it over the last like five years is when I've been like in a no, hotel. And I can't it's believe on, watch and, You know it. what I mean? No, and I, the thing is, is that like when we were younger... And like you could tell that there were always stars, and yeah. you would watch. Yeah, an no, there was like, one oh, guy. Okay, so here yeah. are three guys who I know will do stuff afterwards. Yeah. And the last ten times I've watched it over the last couple of years, nothing, no. zero people that I watch. Am I like, oh yeah, this person's gonna do do something? No, I totally agree. That's a bang on observation. And I will say this: thank God Gillis got canceled because <laughs> if you know, if it wasn't for that, he would just be a faceless name that would be part of that opening credits that no one would ever watch and yeah thank goodness because boy oh boy oh boy (laughs) no one would have ever known his name otherwise anyway quick break let's come back and uh did okay how the hell did the jays not beat the three over 80 for cody (laughs) bellinger next robert murray all right one of the best in the business robert murray and we'll be insider for fan sided morning buddy how we doing yeah, I'm great, man. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, not great because it was it was fine when the Blue Jays didn't sign Cody Bellinger. I never got my expectations up for Cody Bellinger, but when it was under the uh, expectation that he was going to sign somewhere near $200 million, I went, nah, you know, there's a lot of numbers that indicate that he could take a step back and is he that good and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden he signed for three uh, or $80 million over three. And I went, oh, that hurts. <laughs> That's I would have I'd have done that if I was the Jays. I would have done that if I was a lot of different teams. Yeah. I mean Bellinger on a three year. Yeah, that's a great deal. Yeah, it is a great deal. So let's start with this. How did this happen, Robert? Man, that's a great question. And it was a lot of these teams waiting out the market because they felt that the price for Bellinger and for the most part a lot of these top free agents has been too high. And they weren't willing to meet this $200 million asking price. And with Bellinger, obviously, he's a tremendously talented player. But if you end up looking at his injury history, uh, like for three years, he was battling an injury and he was a shell of himself. And if he had struggled with the Cubs, he's probably looking at a low-end major league deal or even a minor league deal. And obviously, he was great last year. He was one of the best players in the National League. And Boris tried to capitalize off of it. But teams had come had natural concerns and he ended up having to settle for three years for $80 million. Uh, and he can opt out after the first year, obviously settling for a potential guarantee of $80 million, not necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to a lot of these teams and it's just, they, there should have been more teams in that ballpark for Ballinger at that price. Cause 
if you're if he performed like he did last year, you're talking about a potential MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. The Cubs got a great deal here, and it just further adds to what has been a really frustrating offseason for the Toronto Blue Jays as yes. a whole, I think. Yes, it does. Um, again, Jays fans, we were just finally settling into spring, you know? I'm watching Nate Pearson give up back-to-back home runs, and I'm like, ah, the world is right again, you know? We're, <laughs> we're here. Spring has arrived. Spring. Ricky Tiedemann is hurt, and Nate Pearson's giving up back-to-back bombs. Ah, familiarity. And we went, okay, you know, the team is fine. The team was talking ourselves into Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and I'm talking myself into Dalton Varsho bounce back, and I'm just expecting that these contracts are going to be in banana lands. And then Bellinger signs this deal, and I, I, I'm left wondering, this part of it is, we kept hearing that the Jays want to make a splash and that the Jays were checking in on guys and that they were monitoring and that they're keeping an eye on and that they're doing all these things. And I, I get that the Shohei budget is not the rest of free agent budget. Anybody with half a brain here should understand that. Like, I, I always hated the fans that would go, well, why not split up the money? It's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not purely a baseball deal. But three years, $80 million for, yeah, a, a guy who is a, yeah, uh, could, could end up being an MVP candidate this year. It's difficult to process. And so, yeah, from, from the Jays specifically, what is your understanding of why they weren't more involved here or, or like, because the only thing that I could kind of accept is that Cody Bellinger said to everybody, the only team I'm playing for is the Cubs. Yeah, and I don't think Bellinger necessarily said that. But at the end of the day, like there is the Cubs were always the team that was the team to beat in the Bellinger sweepstakes. And it just took a lot longer than I think Bellinger or even the Cubs would have preferred for this deal to get done. Because we were talking a week into spring training games that already started. And I, I don't think any anyone in that scenario necessarily wanted it to play out this long. But from the Blue Jays' perspective, it's it's really confusing. Obviously, the, the Otani thing was separate from everything else. You're totally right about that. And but the Bellinger, if if I was Toronto, I would have pressed the foot down on the gas pedal more and, and ended up trying to sign Bellinger for thirty million dollars this year, and then you see what happens in the future. And it's it's a really it's it's frustrating especially considering Ross Atkins's comments saying that any big addition would come with a subtra- subtraction off the major league roster um that just for me that w- that wouldn't sit right um it just the blue jays are a big market team they're a team that has a really strong young core and you don't know what the future necessarily holds with Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette not signed long term if there's ever a time for the team to go all in and try to like win now i think now is it and the fact that they didn't end up getting Otani, they didn't end up getting Bellinger, they missed out on some of these top free agents, mm-hmm. that that would be pretty frustrating. And they're banking on a lot of internal improvement, with, especially with Dalton Varsho and even Bichette and Vlad Jr. and among those guys. And I, I get that, but there was a way to supplement the roster this offseason. I think they came up they came up pretty much empty. Well, yeah, and, and a Jays fans should understand that 380 you know, is not the Toronto price. Usually the Toronto tax is an extra year, right? But who's not mm-hmm. doing Bellinger here for four years, 110 to 120? Like, every fan would have been exactly. thrilled had that been the case. And so to me, that that's the real frustration, especially since I get, you know, you want to keep payroll sort of clean. And if you do want to re-sign Vladdy or Bo, or maybe even both, that you want to keep your options open and not get into, yeah, a crazy uh, luxury tax threshold. But... Yeah, Cody Bellinger for four more years just feels, especially if you're going to do options, like, yeah, then you had all that flexibility too. So I I don't know, 
Yeah, I guess what I'm having difficulty processing is, you know, we get the original pass and report of the Jays want to make a splash. And you were reporting this throughout the offseason, too, is, hey, this is a team that really, yeah, you, you outlined the young core, but there seemed to be a mentality coming out of the front office that they needed to do something, that they needed to shuffle the deck, that they need to reinvigorate the fan base and the club. And I'm curious if there was a point for you where you, you saw that shift or there was a occurrence, maybe even after Otani, that they just decided that that mentality was no longer going to be the uh, modus operandi? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And for me, like it started with the Otani sweepstakes and yeah. obviously they were, they were a firm player in that. And it was, it was really unfortunate how that all got played out and reported. Cause that just, that got Blue Jays' fans' excitement to a level that I don't think they had ever been at, especially when there's people saying that he's going to Toronto, that he's on a flight to Toronto and then it turned out to not be true. And then less than 24 hours later, he ended up signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I mean, I, at that point, I, I felt bad for Blue Jays fans. Like Blue Jays fans are, have been some of my most passionate people in my Twitter mentions and just in terms of interacting. And I just, it didn't sit well with me. And like for the most part throughout this offseason, I thought they were end up going to, they were going to make a big splash. But with Otani, they tried, they came up empty. Um, they've obviously tried for some other things. And I mean, they ended up getting Isaiah Connor Falefa. They got a lot of these infielders, Justin Turner. They just signed Vogelbach and, um, and Eduardo Escobar to minor league deals. They got, uh, Yariel Rodriguez. They got, I mean, they got others, but I, I thought they were going to be primed for a big splash. And I, I don't necessarily know if I've ever felt it shift or I, I don't necessarily know how I want to phrase that, but it was, it just, I think it was a, a matter of the prices didn't meet what they wanted. Um, there wasn't a player that they felt besides Otani or even a Bellinger type that they could have really spent big dollars on. Obviously a Matt Chapman type is still out there and they get, there's two really good pitchers. So there's time for them to, mm. to kind of resolve this, but I don't necessarily think that's the most likely thing. Um, yeah. It's just a, the off season going in, I had really high expectations for Toronto. Like there's no doubting that whatsoever, but they, they pretty much came up empty in this and there's no other way of putting it. And they're really banking on that internal improvement happening. And if it doesn't happen, then there's, there's gotta be some, some answers afterwards. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think that for a fan base that was so excited, but then oftentimes can be cynical, right? When, when things don't go their way, especially free agency, there's always this feeling of, you know, Toronto was used or that uh, people pump them up too much because there is such a large fan base here and a lot of them are online and they, they care about stuff. They engage with the content. And so I, I think it's difficult for Jays fans who were told over and over and over again that they were inquiring about Bellinger, they were interested in Bellinger, that they wanted to make a splash. To see him go for $80 million over three years, you go, well, if you were interested in him and you were in on him, then you should have been able to top that offer. Like, given where you're at, all of the parameters that we just outlined, that to me sort of feels a little inexcusable outside of you having internally something where you're like, we think this medical is horrific, right? And I I know that's Mm -hmm. not standard practice to let that, uh, like, that's not good business to let that stuff leak, but I'm like, you got to leak it because this is such a bad look. You got to let people know. You got to let a Robert Murray know that they found something there that they went, we think he's going to fall apart. Like, give us an explanation for this one because it's brutal. So you mentioned those other names. The only one, uh, like the, the pitchers feel like such a long shot. And we've seen the other reports too. They've been around, which is, hey, the Jays are checking in on Blake Snow. They're keeping an eye on the pitchers. You're like, okay, I- I'm done with that now. But 
Chapman was always like, a, hey, is he, is he not? If he gets a huge contract, he's clearly gone, but maybe if he's not. And now seeing this deal, I would imagine that there's an there's a implication for these other free agents. What, what does this mean for a potential Chapman-Jays reunion? I, anything? Yeah, before, before I get into the Chapman stuff, I, yeah. I also want to say this about Bellinger, too, is, the, like, obviously in L.A., it toward the end it didn't work out. He ended up going to Chicago, and he bounced back in a big way. And I think the familiarity there with him, especially getting $30 million guaranteed this year, as well as the opt-out after the first year to allow him a chance to get back to free agency next year. I think that was really intriguing for him. And, I mean, when it's all said and done, familiarity, it's a place where he's comfortable. I think that was pretty important to him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as as far as far Chapman and the Jays go, um, I mean, on my end personally, I have not heard any smoke there. I mean, that's not saying that there's not anything happening behind the scenes by any means. That's just something that I have not personally heard. But if you're the Blue Jays at this point, you obviously, like there was a report, I can't remember from what writer in Toronto, that they ended up making a strong contract extension offered him last year or somewhere in that ballpark. And I mean, if you're, if you're looking at him, like clearly at that point, they viewed him as a foundational piece and someone that they wanted long-term. If you see him sitting out in the market and you can possibly get him for, a lower AAV or lesser years or something that's more team friendly than what you offered him. Then I think at this point it shouldn't hold you back, but I keep coming back to the Ross Atkins comments saying that mm-hmm. um, if you end up, if you end up making a big addition on the major league roster, then you're going to have to subtract. And then they also have a, just a glut of infielders at this point, especially after adding Escobar and Vogelbach and minor league deals. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they had like, they had a, a lot of infielders before that they have a lot more now and, and trying to navigate that all would be really tough. But as, we, it, as their manager said, it's a fun puzzle to navigate. And plus, that would give you another star player. And if I was Toronto, that's something I'd consider. But I, I don't know where they're at right now with that. No, uh, it makes sense. Because the only real way to interpret his comments are, we're done. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like he, exactly. Yeah. It's it just that's the, you can read between the lines. It's, that's what he's saying is, we're done. This is the team. Good. Enjoy this team. The, the guys you're seeing are the guys that you're going to see on the field. Um, but that's natural because once uh, a team gets set, once you start heading down to spring, you start looking at what you have. What, what do we say about spring, right? It's when hope uh, arrives. It's when everybody can see a path for a player, right? You can talk yourself into something. And of course, that's the way that a front office would view things because they're the ones who accumulated the talent. And that's why the, the gambit that a lot of these star players have made here in terms of pushing their contracts into spring feels so foolish right now. Like we're looking at Bellinger who, yeah, you and I both agree about all of the upside and yeah, sure. The familiarity of Chicago and maybe some of the lack of suitors. Like that's a, you said it's a good thing. Yes. For us normies, but for him, I would be looking at this as Scott, where's my other $120 million? Like, where's the other $120 million you said I was going to get? And if I'm these other players and all of a sudden the Blue Jays are going, yeah, we're good, man. Like, we're just going to bring in Escobar, Matt Chapman. Like, we're not even going to bid for your services. This feels like it's got to have at least some kind of repercussion for Boris. Like, like what is the, yeah, what is the fallout from this if these guys all sign uh, very team-friendly deals? That is the million dollar question. That's something that I've had a lot of different people in baseball ask me. And it's not like the thing is, is it's, I mean, you look at Bellinger, obviously he got much less than what he ended up 
asking for. And now you look at a Blake Snell type who, I mean, all the reports have linked it's either the Giants, the Angels, or the Yankees. And maybe there's maybe there's going to be a mystery team there. Who knows? I mean, we're at the point of the offseason where we haven't even heard about a mystery team yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a Jordan Montgomery type who has gotten interest from like the angels and the, uh, the Red Sox had a zoom meeting with him two weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing at this point has been cooking there. And then you look at Chapman, whose market for the most part has been a mystery. He's been linked to the, to the Cubs. He's been linked to the giants. He's, I mean, obviously he's got the history with the blue Jays. If they, he doesn't end up getting these players, the long-term deals that they seek, I think these teams are really going to end up having the new Boris model and how to go about the high-end clients that he has in future off seasons and, mm. and waiting out the market for him to just, to just, you know, like crash and, and end up taking a, a lesser deal. But that being said, I think I don't necessarily know if that strategy would work in future off seasons, just because if you look at all the players that he has available here, I mean, Bellinger obviously had the injury concerns. Snell, he's got the, Obviously, he's got two Cy Youngs, but he's also had lesser performance in the years that he wasn't a Cy Young winner. Also, has a really high walk rate. Um, Chapman obviously had a great first month in Toronto and then kind of fell off after that. Fell off might be a little strong, but um, he was definitely not the player he was after the first month. And yeah, he fell off. Montgomery. I can tell you he fell off. Very, very clearly yeah, fell off. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and Montgomery, really talented pitcher. That's a guy that I would be really high on and. I'm sur- I'm surprised he has not gotten a long-term deal that he sought because he's, to me, he was my favorite left. He's my favorite left-handed pitcher on the market. He has been all winter, and it was key for the for the Rangers in the World Series. And he would like to go back to Texas, but just the money is not aligned with the uh, with the with a team that is still and or just end up getting a short-term TV deal. Mm-hmm. and they, they're they uncertain with their finances going forward. So that's made it tough. The Red Sox are interested, but there's been a lot of factors that have played into it. And I think next winter when he got the Juan Soto sweepstakes, I think that one's not necessarily going to end up playing out like this. I think you can have plenty of suitors at a very, very high dollar amount, but there is no question about it. This is a very difficult offseason for Scott Boris. He has had these teams wait him out, and he was the one who blinked first with getting Bellinger signed for three years for 80. And who knows what ends up happening next. But right now, teams seem to have the upper hand on him at this point. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right. Like, you know, Garrett Cole, I assume he's going to opt out this next, this coming off season, right? Like outside of an injury. Um, and then you're going to have Juan Soto. There's, there's, there's guys at the very top of the pile that to me are like, without doubt going to be, yeah, getting massive contracts are going to get everything he wants going to happen earlier in the off season. But yeah, I think that's really interesting what you said about some of the other guys, right? Like now moving forward, uh, like, like a, a Paul Goldschmidt type, right? Like he's going to be what? 36, 37 going into next off season. Something, something like that. It's waiting out. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the new model of potentially squeezing these guys all the way to the end being like, do you really want to be left off entirely? Do you really want to go into this season? Because that's, that's gotta be the threat now from these players, right? Is that they'll go into the season if they need to. The question is, do you think any of them actually will like the main guys, let's say Snell Chapman, Montgomery and JD Martinez. I, I don't think that's going to end up being the case. I think they're going to end up signing at some point during spring training. Cause if you end up waiting into the regular season, especially for those high end guys, yeah. like it, specifically for the pitchers, I mean, it takes time to ramp up for those guys and spring training is vital for them. And I think at this point now, what Boris is best 
what's really going to, what would benefit him would be someone going down in spring training and mm. all of a sudden they're become desperate for one of these guys and end up paying or get, giving into what the asking price is. And I, I think that would be his best hope at getting these deals. But I fully anticipate them signing during spring training here and mm. waiting Waiting till the regular season is would be a very bold strategy. But that being said, we're at the point now where I mean that's like it's become like a a, a thought and a realistic thought um, that they could end up continuing to wait. Just it's it's crazy to the point of the offseason that we're at because we've been thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is the week that these guys are going to end up signing, and then it just each week they they're still in the market. There seems to be no progress. But I, as I said, I anticipate spring training being when they sign, but. Boris is someone who is not afraid to wait out the market, but that would be pretty extreme for him. Uh, yeah. uh, that's for sure. This Okay. This is the one though, too, is okay. Clearly he's just trying to do whatever gets the most money. And like he, the strategy might backfire this time around, but he's Scott Boris. But like the thing that is confusing me right now, and again, maybe some of this is just Yankee smoke because that's the way that it operates when you're the, the biggest market and you have the most coverage is that everybody ends up getting linked to you, right? We, we have that here, especially in hockey, as we talk about everybody at Traded Line, how they fit with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but it seems like there's real buzz between Blake Snell and the Yankees, and he potentially wants to go there, and he was willing to sign for a shorter deal, and Boris pushing back on like, no, no, no. But then Cody Bellinger sized three over 80. And if you're Snell, how, how would you not be like, what the hell? <laughs> Why is this guy doing it? Uh, you just said it. You need time to ramp up. You want to get familiar with your teammates. You want to get your arm ready. Like, is this the one that happens first? Does he end up with the Yankees? What's your read on that situation? My guess is that a snub of the Yankees scenario is unlikely. And obviously they have been, they've been linked, but I, I have not heard of any movement there in talks as of like, as of a a few days ago, there was all these reports or Twitter buzz or whatever you want to call it, linking snow and the Yankees. And I, I checked with two people who would know, and they said nothing had changed, and and yeah, just I, I don't anticipate that being a scenario that's particularly likely. I think, as I said, it's unlikely. And I know another reporter in New York, Jack Curry, who is as connected with the Yankees as there as anyone, mm-hmm. also suggested that it's unlikely as well. So I'm I'm that's currently where I stand. Obviously, things are subject to change, but if you look at some other teams that have been linked to to Snell, like the Angels or the Giants, I think those teams make more sense and could end up being a more realistic fit. Um, but Snow, I'm, I'm very curious to see what exactly that contract he ends up getting because at this point, if Bellinger ends up getting three for 80, and Snow obviously has wanted a, a high-end pitching market deal here, I, I genuinely don't know what that contract is going to look like. But I know whatever team that signs him is going to end up being – is going to benefit for it in the long haul, especially the Giants, because Snell has had the upper hand against the Dodgers uh, mm-hmm. throughout his time with the Padres, and I think that'd be something that would be really intriguing to them. And yeah, if I, if I was the Giants, I'd pull the trigger on it and, and add a, a left-hander in a rotation that I think has, especially once Robbie Ray and, and Alex Cobb come back, has as much upside as any rotation. I think that'd be a really smart move for them. But as of this point, it does not seem like there's been much if any movement on the snow front. Okay, so in your latest piece for Fansided, you wrote about the Angels and how Mike Trout, he's well, he's been public about it, that he's trying to push ownership to go out and sign one of the top-tier free agents. And he's also been on record of he doesn't want to ask for a trade. He views it as the easy way out. And a lot of people looking around are going, you know, ask out because we'd like to see you, we'd like to see you in a playoff game <laughs> before your career's over. Yeah. Do you think that if they don't 
pull the trigger on one of these guys. Like if they if they decide that, you know, names like this continue to go off the board at discounted rates and the Angels are not aggressive and they don't listen to Mike Trout, that there could be a shift in his mentality. Like is there any contingency of him playing ball that lies with them being aggressive still in the free agent market? Yeah, it's it's a really unique one because Trout's not someone who typically speaks out or, or makes his thoughts like that public. But when he did, that opened up the eyes of a lot of people throughout the league and, and kind of put the pressure squarely on Artie Moreno, their owner in, in Anaheim, to make a big splash. Obviously, they did not get Ballinger. And if they don't end up getting uh, a Chapman or a Montgomery or a Snell type, then I think that would really open up a lot of different scenarios through in the future here because as they're currently constructed now the angels are not the team that they were last year or even like losing otani i mean that that's about as big of a blow as any team in sports could be dealt and they really have not done much to overcome that and let's say that they don't end up adding someone now and they struggle and they finish 20 to 30 games or whatever back in the in the division does that is that what forces Trout to ask for a trade? Maybe. Who knows? He's one of the most loyal guys in baseball. But like that being said, Trout is someone who needs to be in the postseason. He's someone who, I mean, he's one of the best players in baseball. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. We're, we're, he's he's not won a playoff game yet. If he if he doesn't ask for a trade at the end of the year, if they end up really struggling this year, then I think you'd officially go down as the most loyal person in baseball. Some people, someone might even call him crazy uh, for not wanting to get out of Anaheim, especially considering that situation. But yeah, it's, I think that's probably one of the more intriguing storylines of this entire season is what does the future of Mike Trout hold? And I think what their off season moves look like, or their spring training moves look like now, especially with the Boris three still out there mm-hmm. and their season success. I think that's just a, a huge equation here. That's about to be solved. Here's my thing. I would say to Mike is that your team finished 16 games below 500 last year. You were fourth in division. You had a minus 90 run differential and you lost Shohei Otani. If you replace him with Matt Chapman and Blake Snell, um, that's still less than an Otani. So uh, if I was ownership, I'd be looking at that and going, sorry, how much do I have to pay for those guys? I don't think so. Um, Yeah, I would almost be, uh, I don't want to say that you would want to lose a Mike Trout. It's obvious. And this was an organization that I was told uh, part of the reason they signed Pujols to that contract was because they wanted to try to lock him up there as when he'd go into the Hall of Fame, that that meant something to the Angels. So I'm sure it still means something with them with Mike Trout, um, him being like the definitive angel. But damn, it's just it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel with uh, these two parties or him working with this franchise. Uh, I forgot to ask you one question before you go, and that is one last Blue Jays thing to circle this thing back. Um, my understanding of things is that when we're talking about the splash, that that could have been potentially a trade. And I, I cautioned people because I said I don't think that their farm system is very strong. And it's, it's one thing for, you know, Baseball America to assess it that way. But normally other front offices look at your prospects and they might think something different. They make their own assessments and some guys get valued more highly around baseball than, uh, yeah, uh, what the prognosticators have them at. But um, what is your understanding of the Jays' attempts at trades and the ways their offers were perceived around baseball? Yeah, it's they've done a number of different things this offseason and evaluated a number of different things. I think if they end up making a trade, what makes the most sense for them would be moving some of that infield depth. And 
the guy that I keep coming back to would be Santiago Espinal. I think that is someone he's a really talented guy and I don't know if he necessarily has the path to the playing time that a player like that deserves. So if they can end up moving him and upgrading a different part of the roster, like especially an area that needs reinforcements or upgrades, I think that's something that they should absolutely, absolutely pursue. And that's something that I even saw uh, Shai Davidi in Toronto, who's super connected. He said, it just seems like it's primed for, a, a that infield glut is just prime for a trade. And I, I totally agree with him and what he said there. And I think Espinal can get you an upgrade in a different part of the roster. And it's something that they should pursue. But at this point, it does not seem like they've got an offer that they deem satisfactory. And I wouldn't imagine they're going to end up forcing a trade there. Cause I mean, he's, he's controllable. He's young and yeah, I, they they don't have to force it, but they have that luxury there if they want to pull the trigger on a deal. And and who knows? As we said earlier, there's injuries that happen during spring training. We saw Gavin Lux go down last year uh, with the Dodgers with an ACL injury in spring. He's back now, but things can happen on a dime, and the Blue Jays can end up benefiting from that, uh, especially with that depth that they have in the infield. That's a that's a good problem for them to have, and it could end up paying for them uh, down here in the long haul. Yeah, he was kind of viewed as a guy who was um, certainly going to be gone. Um, at the outset of the offseason, and now he's still here and feels a little awkward, given that they've brought in a ton of other guys, and it's difficult to see how his playing time works. But, like, yeah, he's not going to net you anything of significance. Like, I think that our Ben Nicholson-Smith, mm-hmm. when he did his offseason scenarios, outlined maybe Espinal ended up getting traded for cash. Uh, like, it, was, it, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, boy, look, you're going to get back something real here. I think, yeah, the, the greater point of curiosity is do you think that the Jays tried to use their prospects or pieces that are significant within the organization to try to big, bring in, like, a real name? Like, when we're talking about Splash, do you think that they really wanted that they tried to build frameworks around real impactful roster players that just came up short because they didn't have the prospect capital? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I genuinely I'm not sure exactly to the extent that they've explored these kind of upgrades. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, obviously it would be something that would make sense. And um, if they, if they wanted to try to make a big splash, but that being said, it's if they end up making a big addition by a trade, they would have to move someone off the major league roster, at least mm-hmm. according to what Ross Atkins said. And, and maybe that's an Espinal. I mean, maybe that's someone else who has got a higher salary. I don't necessarily know who would fit that description for them. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think it's something that they should consider and probably have considered, but if I spoke in the likelihood, I, I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think that's something at this point of the off season or at this point of the year where they haven't made that big addition on the major league roster, they, they got to explore everything they have to. And if they don't, I mean, well, they are, I just don't, I just don't know what the likelihood is that they pull the trigger on a deal. That's just, I think that's a million-dollar question at this point. Mm-hmm. Hey, Robert, um, thanks so much for all the time today. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate you always. Yep, take care. Uh, Robert Murray, MLB Insider with Fansided. He's got a piece up right now on that website uh, answering a couple of the other questions around what's going on in baseball. Anyways, um, that's that's an interesting one is like how players could end up getting squeezed moving forward here. And how many front offices are going to try to deploy this same strategy? And it gets back to the same thing of, you know, because we've seen this before where it was right after 
the pandemic, I, want to say, I don't want to say right after because I get hazy on the when did the pandemic end <laughs> timeline, but there was that one year where all of the players, might have been even the offseason before, where all the players were crying foul about the collusion amongst owners with, mm-hmm. for, with free agents and pushing them further and further and further back. We haven't seen this before, though, We've, uh, like, or at least not in my memory. Maybe this has happened at other points in baseball, but yeah, for four of, let's say, the top 25 free agents, which I think Snell, Chapman, Montgomery, and Martinez qualify as, maybe there's a name or two that there's some discrepancy between Martinez and that list, but I think pretty much every free agent list you would look at would have three of those guys like firmly cemented in the top 15. That's pretty odd. And for Bellinger to go at the very last minute on a, a cheap contract and for it to have worked against Boris... In a year that obviously Bellinger really wanted to capitalize upon, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch what the fallout of that is. Anyways. Yeah, I think Manfred was even talking about like a signing deadline, right? Because the MLB offseason was getting so janky with that stuff. Yeah, I don't know if that works though. No, I no, I don't. And I don't. That, yeah, I don't that, like that comes that. with a whole other yeah. list of problems. The writers would love that, that though. The it's becoming like the, the norm now. It's just yeah. weird. Anyway, signing deadline is crazy though. Because yeah. it's like, yeah. You got to do it. And but like, you get oh. so squeezed anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like it's still, it. yeah. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and hit what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So, you know how we're all really addicted to our phones? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I will check mine during the breaks, which I really wish I didn't. I, I genuinely... Like, I want to have my phone and almost a holster, and this is the sanctuary of two hours where there's no phones. But it's impossible not to. So anyways, I, I'm addicted to my phone, and because I just look at it and stare and go, oh, interesting things, what will be, you know, and I opened it up, and I saw that, you know, one of my best buds, Sam, his wife posted on Instagram, their car, like, destroyed. And now I just called him I knew he was fine and he was in the vehicle, but I need to know. Because I, I just called you to see if, you know, things are okay and you wanted to come on and discuss. Uh, obviously, you're an opportunist. You're turning this into opportunity immediately. But, yeah, what, what happened? Your car is destroyed. Like that. How, wait, can I ask you a question before this started? Yes. How yes. fast did your brain go from, oh, my God, someone destroyed our vehicle to, oh, my God, maybe Kipper is going to give me a free Mercedes? <laughs> Shockingly quick. Yeah, uh, not shockingly to me. Not shocking. Like you, like I could just picture your wife Allison being like, "No, no, no," and you being like, "Oh, yeah, that's so so bad." (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I I woke up this morning to the sound of an extremely loud bang. Like it was a bang. Oh yeah, it's a bang. in, In my mind, I was you know I was tired. It was five in the morning. I'm like, ah, couldn't be that big a deal. But as I'm getting older, I did have to pee. So I got up and I went and, and did the, di- the business. And I looked out the window without my glasses on. And I looked, I looked to the left and I saw some debris. I saw a bus. I was like, ah, seems fine. I didn't really look out the other window. I didn't look out the other window where the evidence of my car being smashed up. So I go back to bed. Allie gets up for the gym at 530 every morning, not to brag, but she's, yeah. uh, she's grinding. And yeah. Uh, she's like, was it our car? I'm like, no, it wasn't our car. So I, I, <laughs> I, I lie back to bed. <laughs> My eyes are yeah. just about to fall asleep. Yeah. She's like, what are you talking about, Sam? Of course it's our car, you idiot. <laughs> so I get up, go outside, 
talk to the cops, do the whole thing. The guy was apparently not drunk, but he was he got charged with reckless driving. But yeah, my car smashed up. It's on the way. My beloved Corolla. We've been through so much together. So there you go. There's yeah. the cold. So, it sounds like you're in the car right now, though. Yeah, I am in the car so, because thankfully I have family who have multiple. My okay, parents yeah. are away, as you know, yeah. uh, in Spain. With yeah. uh, I believe your mom is going to be there soon as well. They're, my mom's uh, hosting them for a couple of nights. There you go. Love that. Well, I wonder what they'll mm-hmm. talk about. Um, yeah, I know. They. Uh, their car was at my sister's place, so I was able to borrow their car until we can figure it out. So it worked out really well. I won't miss hockey tonight, which is a very big importance. Huge. That's the first thing that crossed yeah. my mind. Actually, <laughs> here's it. another thing. Here's, yeah. two, here's, two, here's two more details of the crash that yeah. are very important. Yeah, I want the details of the crash. Uh, yeah, not your hockey. I, you can make it to practice. Like, last to night, last night, this is the most heartbreaking part of it all. Last mm-hmm. night, I, I left playing uh, Shinny at Swansea with a great group of people I play every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I leave there, and I'm like, Am I going to fill the car up and be a good husband? Because there was enough to get to the to the there was enough to get to the, the no, gym, but not crushing. a ton. And I went. I put sixty five yeah. bucks worth of gas yeah. in the mm. damn car. And it's just a waste. And then I was like, Am I going to take my hockey gear to the trunk? I'm super lazy. I don't want to do this. I'm like, Wow. Oh. Allie be sour at me if I leave it in the trunk, and then she goes to put her stuff in there. So if I hadn't taken my gear to the trunk, it would have yeah. been munched. It would have been yeah. screwed. So yeah. I'm very happy I did that. So those are the two other details that are – I'm sure this is just scintillating radio. No, it is. Here's, yeah, here's the go. thing. Here's the thing, dude. Uh, you know, people, I think, wonder what it, what our friendship's like, you know, and, hey, what's it like being friends with Sam, right? And I, you just got all of the markers. It's like, hey – He's always looking for something free. <laughs> He's crushed. He's crushed if he loses out on a deal like the gas. <laughs> it's just, you, I'm not surprised. That's what I'm saying. It's, I, I'm not surprised whatsoever. That's right. And is he going to be able to go play hockey that night? Like, you know, those, you hit all the things that are you in somehow someone rear-ending your vehicle, destroying your vehicle. Your wife's reaction was a normal person, right? Where she's like, oh, my God, our car. And she's probably devastated. <laughs> she's probably overly sentimental about that vehicle. Because, like, I remember, oh, yeah. like, guaranteed right now, right? Talking to you about all the worst-case scenarios. And you just went, what's free? What deal did I lose? When? How do I get to hockey? <laughs> like, so, the interesting is I have yeah. great neighbors. And my neighbor to the right has a camera. Oh, yeah. So, he texted me footage this morning. Yeah, of, I the, see ca- that. of the crash. Send text but that the to me, please. Is, the thing is... It was another – so the guy hit another car so hard that, what? like, a car – he was going so fast that he hit the car, like, 100 feet up from my place. Yeah. And it Whoa. flew down the road and smashed into mine. I was going to say, because like, the picture of yours looks like he put, like, pure – just destroyed – like, I was like, how did this even happen? That makes more sense. His his car was looking twisted oh, yeah. metal, but oh, yeah. it was like oh, – yeah. but he's like he, – he was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to get a Mercedes out of this, but yeah. I should be saying yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, good luck with the pursuit of your free Mercedes, buddy. I'm sure Kipper will make that go down. All right, see you, bud. Glad you're safe. Anyways, there goes Sam McKee, uh, owner of a completely destroyed vehicle. Anyways, uh, what else we miss? Uh, spring training's back. Crack the bat. Yeah. Smell of fresh cut grass. Oh yeah. Tim Mesa. I had my, boy. my full, my full spring training experience, which was, was excited all morning yeah. for spring training baseball. Legitimately could not wait. Game got into the third inning and I was like, 
I've heard of none of these guys anymore. No, I just was watching everything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. And I, I'll, I'll glance. And guess what? Day two, I glanced at the box score to see if Vladdy was playing. He wasn't. I went, oh, okay, yeah. Right. It's when you see a lot of guys in the, in, with the numbers in the mm-hmm. 60s no, no, no. to 90s. It's, a, it's not even you know? it's it's just, just, The baseball season is 162 games, all right? I'm not adding fake games to the, the list of things I'm going to watch on the regular. If there's nothing else on and it's kind of an, a lazy afternoon, I'll throw it on as kind of background noise. But let's be real here. Come on. You're like, not interested in seeing what dudes are working on? No, no, not even adjustments to the some. some No, I want to see Ricky Tiedemann, but he got hurt immediately. (laughs) And I do like the Tim Mesa thing. He wore. Yeah. So he wore, uh, he came last, I guess, in the, in the, in the fantasy football league. So he served as the bat boy and then also wore a Jersey that had the number four and 10 to reflect Mm. his record. Great stuff. Does your league fantasy league have any punishments or anything like that? So first of all, I got to say that cute story for a broadcast, horrifically lame punishment. In reality, like <laughs> you got to be the bat boy in a spring game and they know anyway, it's just that's fun. But here's what I've also learned. You have to be lighthearted with the fantasy punishments, because to me, there was a period of time like I want to say 10 ish years ago where we started to get uh, the the popularity of fantasy football took off to the point where everybody was playing. Mm-hmm. And now we heard about punishments in on mass. And they ended up in columns and all of a sudden you would hear about guys getting tattoos yeah. or guys having to, you know, uh, yeah, take essentially beatings. Yeah. I remember the most famous one was a uh, guy having to sit in a waffle house and yeah. eat for, what was it, like 24 hours? You guys sitting there or you got... It was like 24 you, hours and then each or, waffle took an hour yeah, off. Of, took an hour off. Yeah, yeah. that was the best one, That's right? Incredible. And so people started to get creative and I think that every group with uh, their salt gave this a shot. And our group of friends just could never settle on something appropriate. <laughs> it was either way too far yeah. or like way too light. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just didn't, it's like, it, it just didn't work out. The, the punishment that we landed on for the one year was that you'd have to run a five or a 10 K, but in the outfit of the league's choosing. Sure. And then, when the person lost, it was the only girl in our league and she finished dead last. And the discussions of the things that were discussed in terms of what was going to be put on the shirt, it was like vile to reprehensible thing. We can't put her in bullet like this. (laughs) Her career is starting to take off. And then it just goes, well, what? She's just going to run a 5K? Nobody cares about that. Yeah. Going to try to, we have to rent the silly costume. All of a sudden, people are arguing over how much that's going to yeah, come. I'm not pitching in Nightmare. on that. Nightmare. So, yeah, yeah. anyway, after that year, it just it completely ended. There was, th- th- like, it's, it sucks because I think that a, a, fi- a last place punishment is great because mm-hmm. it keeps people engaged at the bottom. But it is really hard to find one that sticks. And especially if you're spread out over a couple of provinces. Sure. And you don't just have everybody in the same city, everybody that meets up for the draft every single year, which is our league because it's university league. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But I, I'm envious. I think that the tattoos are too far. Tattoos are too far. Anything that's permanent, yeah. I think, is probably uh, too far. Being a millionaire who has to bat boy for one spring training game and wear a cheeky jersey is too light. But there's a there's a somewhere in the middle. The my, One of my favorite ones I still heard is that you have to keep a photo of the champion in the house. That's a good in one. A, in a prominent place, like a big photo of them for for the last place loser. That's uh, a good like, one, especially as you get yeah. older and yeah, like, yeah. people are married because like me yeah, having yeah. to, to granted I wife. never come yeah. last, yeah. but me having to 
frame a picture of one of my idiot buddies yeah, and like put you it in my living room. The cost and yeah. you've got to put it a big photo, like prominently placed in the living room. It's, it's great. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. Anyway, I'm for punishments. If you guys have a good punishment, you can always let me know at JD Bunkus on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, okay. What else? Big night for the Blackhawks. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Chelios, Jersey retired. Patrick Kane returns, gets a huge ovation, mm-hmm. scores overtime winner. Lots of storylines, but the one I'm most interested in, honestly, is uh, Cindy Crawford, center mm-hmm. ice. Nailed one of those shots where you got to send it all the way down and get it through that tiny little mm-hmm. slot. Great stuff. What a what a brilliant performance by her. It was good. Um, so, yeah, Blackhawks, they celebrate Patty Kane and it's great. turn. Yes. Yeah, Sniped the OT winner. There and, yeah, he finished it perfectly and supposed to have Versteeg today to talk about it, but, you know. Whatever it is going on with him, <laughs> saving all the youth of Canada. Uh, wasn't able to do it, so he'll do it later in the week. But Cindy Crawford, still so hot. Sure. So unbelievably hot. Yeah. And I got genuinely excited. Like all my youth, just, I was like, whoa, <laughs> where have you been? Where have you been, baby? <laughs> that was by far. I don't care about Patrick Kane's goal. Is yeah. whatever they honored him. Chelios came out in the cool in the Cadillac. That was badass. Uh, I won my bet on that game. There you that go. was what matters. Okay, <laughs> that's what matters always. Yeah, is uh, yeah. I was like, no way the Wings lose this game, and they almost blew it. But yeah, they they came through. They won. Um, but yeah, Cindy Crawford. What a sick throwback that was. Yeah. What an incredible throwback. I. I guess she's from Chicago. I didn't know that. Yeah, but that she she also celebrated like she'd been shot. there before. Yeah, it was sweet. third shot, like nailed it. That's do you have any clutch. confidence you'd be able to do that? I think I would be the biggest choker at all those things. See, I just think I, I would get so feeling. in my yeah. head, and I like first pitch. Like I remember, uh, I think it was yeah, McAuliffe threw a first pitch at yes. the Jays game. Yeah. And I went. That is my nightmare. I know. I'm because the same. you could never turn it down, but. You biff it, and it's just forever. You first know? off, like, if it's first pitch, you're going from the rubber, obviously. And just uh, the upside is not that high. The downside is catastrophic. No, I, it's, all of it is catastrophic. <laughs> like, I've thought about it all before where it's like, like I, I think, well, you've, you've played basketball with me many times. Yes. You know I'm a good shooter. Yes. If I showed up ice cold at a basketball game wearing, you know, and they got to put the jersey on me and then I got to trot out there yeah, and they're yeah. like, Go hit this three. I I think I would air ball. Like I think I would, I think I would miss horrifically. And they people would be like, I thought you said you were good at this. I'm like, no, I suck. You have to like, retire. It's especially the stakes are way higher when you talk about sports for a living. Absolutely. And then you'd have to go out there and perform in front of the entire audience. Like if you're a fan of the show and you found out that I was doing something like this, you'd have to watch it. Yes. Like, and there's one thing when I went to Toronto Rock practice and. Made a bunch of huge saves, and people asked me if I used to play. No, I got lit up. <laughs> I did make some saves, though. I mean, some. You have to, because there's a million. Saves. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it was just, uh, yeah, you got lit up. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, that, you know, that's, there's, I would be terrified. I yeah. would choke in the chokiest way possible. I don't think there's one thing that I would do well. Like, out of, like again, all of those activities I've done many, many, many times before, throw a baseball, shoot a puck, you know, and shoot a basketball. Can't, you know what I actually think I would have the highest confidence in? Go ahead. Throwing the football into the targets and to the buckets. Interesting. Because I can really throw a football and uh, I feel like the expectation would be the lowest there because like sure. you're a Canadian, you do this, that, you didn't play 
high, like I played all those other sports, at least at one point in time, not really right. any baseball, but uh, that would be more pressure to me. Throwing a football, I think I would deliver the most in the, in the, in the clutch, especially with the ones where it's like, you got to throw it in a bucket and you got to yeah, throw yeah. it through the little, the little hoop or whatever. Yeah. Like I think I would do that one the best by far I like in it. terms of clutch. I think I could step in there and stand in the pocket and deliver it. I no, like it. No clutch beer pong shots in your day. No, I'm, 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 I suck at beer pong. Wow. I'm always carried by a teammate. <laughs> yeah. One of my great college uh, memories is uh, hitting four in no. a row to send it to over OT. And thing is too, is I'm, most uh, beer Olympic games, uh, like I'm very good at. Like if if I'm at a cottage tournament, I know I'm finishing in the top tier mm. at all these things. Like you, you pick it, bocce, ladder golf, whatever. Uh, like I'm going can jam. It doesn't matter. Love can jam. It doesn't matter. You you throw me out there, and I'm I'm going to dominate, and I'm going to win. And this is a fact. This is like a long established track record of these things. I'm not somebody who just like shows up and is like, oh, I guess I'll play the games. I'm like, let's play the games right now. Yeah. And you're getting mad at people for not taking it seriously. Yeah. But beer pong is always just my, you know, well, seriously. So you've got to play drink in hand with all these games. Beer pong to me is my, it's the bane of my, I don't know what the hell it is. I just, I suck. I suck at beer pong. It's embarrassing. I hate it. Yeah, that does suck. It's horrific. I'm better at baseball, which is when the four cups are just all yeah, lined yeah. up. Baseball's and great. Thing. And then you've got the flips but on the side. But there's something about just like all four of the cups lined up in one straight where it's like it can tip in. It just sucks. But like the actual beer pong itself, I've never been <laughs> dominant. It's sad. It's really sad. It's really funny. Yeah. No, I hate it. I hate it so much. Anyway, we got time to squeeze in anything else? Yeah, sure. Paolo Bancaro hit a game winner against the Pistons, started to cry, got really emotional. Uh-huh. When's the last time you got unexpectedly emotional? Dude, I get unexpectedly emotional all the time. <laughs> it's like people doing kind things for one another, even when it's commercials. I'm sure. like, <laughs> <laughs> people are good. Dogs being friends with other babies? animals. Dogs and babies get me. Dogs and babies don't make me cry. I, although I will say that when it's a dog and a returning soldier, that's Ooh, of course. immediate. Of course. Like, if if I was ever an actor and I needed to deliver a scene where I cried, fire up a YouTube video. I think before death of my own family members, I'd go to <laughs> Dog Soldier Returns, watch a compilation of that, and then yeah, and then Pixar movies. Or, or oh movies. yeah, but like I, I think I mentioned this once before, but I watched Up on a Date and I cried and she didn't, and it still haunts me. To well, this and the day. Up thing is like a media. <laughs> it's horrific. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. It's right no, out that's what I'm drum. saying. It was right out of the gate. I was like, whoo. And she was fine. And I went, that's cool. <laughs> Sucked so bad. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. And we'll see you tomorrow with Brian Boyle.